Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Today is Thursday, November 27th. At least it will be for another three hours my time. If you're on the West East Coast, it's already tomorrow. You won't see this until Wednesday. Um, It's been a really long day. We're at the end of the school year. Um, I I haven't shaved. I'm a mess, basically. I have a great show today, but my life is all over the place, scatterbrained, getting ready to move, doing transferring, all this kind of crap. Um, Very excited, though. I want to start today's show with a story. I worked at the Apple Cup this weekend. That's Washington State University playing the University of Washington. I worked for Fox. It was awesome. Had a blast. I love Fox, by the way. They're my favorite company to work for. They are fantastic. Love it. I had this director I've never had before. His name was Bill. We'll call him Bill. Um, and he's, <laughs> he's the best guy I've ever worked for. Love this guy. Uh, and here's the thing. This game, it snowed. It was snowy. After the game, it was wet. Everyone was pretty miserable. And we do a thing called strike, which is where you take down all the equipment from the entire stadium. You strike all the equipment. And uh, we didn't get out of the field. We didn't get off the field until 1230 in the morning. It was late. It was cold. My feet were wet. My gloves were soaked through. Snow everywhere. And yet, regardless, I was happy to be there. Sometimes you do the strike. You do the process of tearing down after a football game. It's grueling. It's annoying. Nobody wants to be there. But this time was different. I was working for Bill. And Bill is awesome. He's a great leader. I respect Bill. I trust Bill. I admire Bill. Leadership is extremely important. That's why I still had a positive attitude at 12.30 in the morning. Gloves are wet. I'm soaked through. Picking, packing up a truck in the snow, I was happy to be there because I knew I believed in my boss. In fact, I loved it. I was working for the guy I believed in. So on Sunday, Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns beat the Cincinnati Bengals. They won 35-20. to 20. Baker was outstanding. He was 19 for 26 passing at 258 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. And there was drama after the game. If you remember back to the beginning of the year, Hugh Jackson began the year as the Cleveland Browns head coach. Now he was fired and he decided to take a job with the Cincinnati Bengals. So after the game, there was an awkward handshake, Baker and Hugh Jackson It looked like Baker did not want to really be near Hugh Jackson. Hugh Jackson wanted a hug. Baker Mayfield was uninterested. And in the post-game press conference, there were two quotes I want to focus your attention on. One I'm going to paraphrase, one I'm going to say directly. The first one I'll paraphrase. It's pretty long. Basically, Baker Mayfield said that it bothered him. His former head coach, Hugh Jackson, left Cleveland and went to a division rival, the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm going to put that on hold. We'll come back to that thought in a minute. The second quote I want to quote directly. It's, my, it's probably my favorite quote of the year. I love this very, very much. Baker Mayfield said, I quote, We have people that we believe in now calling the plays. Excuse me. We have people that we believe in calling the plays now. Leadership. Leadership matters. Is that a shot at Hugh Jackson? Probably Todd Haley as well. Absolutely that's a shot at his former head coach. Absolutely. He's talking about his former offensive coordinator. Does it bother me? That he took a shot at his former head coach? Not at all. Normally it might. I mean, certainly I wouldn't say anything like that. I don't like talking badly about my former bosses, my former coworkers. It's just not a good look, right? No one, I don't know that I would have done what Baker Mayfield had done. 
calling people out publicly, um, I, don't, I don't love it. But Baker was being honest. And it's likely Baker speaks for the entire team. I mean, there was obvious dysfunction in Cleveland with Hugh Jackson at the reins. You got Freddie Kitchens calling plays now in Cleveland. Seems to work. I think it's for the best. Because if you don't believe in your boss or the leaders above you, it's going to be really, really hard to be successful, and it's going to be really, really hard to believe in what you're doing. If you don't believe in your boss, you're not going to believe in what you're doing for your boss. I learned that a lesson on Saturday. I was striking the field in the snow at 1230 in the morning, and I was happy to be there because I believed in Bill, this great guy, this great leader who clearly I believed in. I understood what he was doing. One aspect of what Baker Mayfield said does bother me, though. So on one hand, I like what Baker Mayfield said. Yes, you should believe in your leaders. On the other hand, my uh, buddy Pablo, a listener in Mexico, sent me this this morning. Sent me an Instagram post. It was Damian Woody on first take saying that Baker Mayfield needs to grow up. Damian Woody pointed out that Baker Mayfield, well, he did go from Texas Tech and transferred to a division rival, Oklahoma. Huh. Hypocrisy. And then Baker Mayfield made a real mistake. Baker Mayfield replied to the Instagram post defending himself. He said, those two things are not comparable. You can't compare my actions leaving Texas Tech to Oklahoma to Hugh Jackson leaving the Browns going to the Bengals. He said, there was no scholarship for me at Texas Tech. Blah, 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 blah. Two mistakes happened here. When someone tells you to grow up, you cannot have a defensive response. It's unwise. The only way you can respond to someone telling you need to grow up is with humility. If someone says, Zach, you need to grow up and mature, I, just, I, can't, I can't try to be all defensive. I got to say, hmm, and just respond to some humility. Honestly, I mean, because the thing is, if you respond defensively, you make them look right. That moment with Baker Mayfield truly made me think of Ryan Leaf. It made me uncomfortable. I didn't like it. And even if Damian Woody's wrong, when someone tells you you need to grow up, you cannot. When someone says you need to grow up, you cannot respond defensively. You need to respond with humility. But furthermore, Baker Mayfield's flat out wrong. He is wrong about Hugh Jackson. He's wrong to be mad at Hugh Jackson for joining the Cincinnati Bengals. This is professional football. Sorry. I understand. If Baker doesn't like Hugh Jackson, fine. But you can't get mad at him for accepting a job. Sorry, that's how professional football works. Hired, you're fired, in, you're out. Especially when you take account for the fact that Hugh Jackson has a history in Cincinnati. He's buddies with the head coach, Marvin Lewis. In fact, the reason why Hugh Jackson was hired in Cleveland is because of, his, the, is because of the success he had in Cincinnati. I don't know. But here's the real hypocrisy. This is why, and look, I, I love Baker Mayfield. I really do. I hope he succeeds. I've been a fan of his since I was in high school. I remember watching him at Texas Tech. I loved it. I really, I really legitimately love Baker Mayfield. But here is the hypocrisy with Baker Mayfield's argument. Baker's argument was, well, I was at Texas Tech. They wouldn't give me a scholarship. They didn't want me. So I left to a rival Oklahoma. Hugh Jackson did the same thing. The Browns fired Hugh Jackson. The Browns said, we don't want you anymore. So Hugh Jackson took the next opportunity that came to him with the Cincinnati Bengals. That's how sports work. That's how life works. That's frankly how professional football works. 
Baker Mayfield was so wrong on that. The hypocrisy is hilarious. Someone didn't want you. You took the next opportunity. Texas Tech to Oklahoma. The Browns to Cincinnati. It's the same move. I still love Baker Mayfield, but he was wrong on that. I hope Baker Mayfield succeeds for the next 10 years. I love the guy. I hope he's in Cleveland forever. I really do love him. But Baker Mayfield was wrong about Hugh Jackson. Can we talk about rookie quarterbacks real quick? Talk about Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen. I just want to say it's way too early to determine who's a bust and who's not. Who is a success at quarterback? Who's a bust? It's just too early. I'm sorry. I I know that right now Baker Mayfield looks like the best of the bunch. He's got a 93% passer rating, thrown for over 2,000 yards, 17 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Right now, Baker Mayfield is the clear leader among the rookie quarterbacks. And if you look at the other quarterbacks, Sam Darnold, he's been underwhelming. 11 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 1,900 yards passing, only a 68% passer rating. And he got hurt this year. It's been ugly. Josh Allen also got hurt, the Bills quarterback. He's got a 65% passer rating. Three touchdowns, only five, uh, five interceptions. That's ugly. But he did just beat Jacksonville, a positive note. Lamar Jackson doesn't look ready. I love the guy. The Ravens ran the ball 13 times in a row against the Cincinnati Bengals. It's just too early for Lamar Jackson. And Josh Rosen, he's been hurt. Had highs and lows. He's got 10 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, and a 68% passer rating. My point is this. There are five rookie quarterbacks. Baker's encouraging. Lamar Jackson has some encouraging things, but he's winning. That's good. Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen. They've all struggled. They've all had highs and lows. It is way too early for you to draw a consensus on the rookie quarterbacks. Go listen to my first podcast. The first podcast I ever recorded over a year ago. Awful. Just atrocious. It's embarrassing. It's cringy. I leave it up so people can go back and listen to it and see how much better I've gotten. And the truth is this. In five years from now, when you look back on this podcast of me talking right now, it's going to look bad as well because you get better every single time you do this. You got to keep improving. And the quarterbacks will. You got to give all of these rookie quarterbacks patience. I mean, Jared Goff and Mitch Trubisky looked like busts their first year. Oh, and after year one, RG3 looked like a star. You just don't know. It's weird. You look at RG3 now, his former backup, Kirk Cousins, is making millions in Minnesota while RG3 is a backup with the Ravens. I think he's with the Ravens? I don't know. We all have these ideas of what the, Baker, what the rookie quarterbacks are going to turn into. It looks like Baker Mayfield's the best. Looks like Lamar Jackson's somewhat limited. We kind of, meh, about Josh Rosen, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold. We got to give these guys patience. Time will tell. And the truth is that all five of these quarterbacks have a chance to succeed. I really believe that. It all depends on the coaching they get. They must have good coaching if they want to succeed in the NFL. They got to get good support around them. My final point is this. Look at my, I don't know, if you're listening on the audio-only version, I have a bunch of just disgusting fluffy peach fuzz all over my face. I just look scruffy. I don't have a beard. It's kind of this in-between phase. But if I wait two more months, I'm going to have a beard. Right now, it's a mess. It's not great. But, it, you know, two, two months from now, it'd be a full-time beard. Right now, the rookie quarterbacks are the, in the exact same position. They're still developing, and they need time to keep 
developing. So please, for the love of God, stop making all these definitive statements. This guy's a bust. This guy, this. I'm guilty of it too. I said Baker Mayfield was the right choice. I do think he was. Clearly, I think he's turning the Cleveland Browns around. That's the one I'm I'm okay with is Baker Mayfield because he's shown a lot of promise. That's pretty good. But before you pull down the hammer on Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, you say Lamar Jackson's a bust. Don't do that. It's way too early to tell. It just is. I'm sorry. But you got to give all these rookie quarterbacks time and patience. Okay, uh, I'm going to intro the show. We have a lot of good stuff ahead. I'm going to say more about coaching down the road. We'll get into that a bit later. We truly do have a great show today. I'm really excited. It's all about football. If you want any other sports, I'm sorry. Today is not the day. Uh, I've been head deep into football. My life has been revolving around football recently. We're going to talk about USC's head coach, Clay Helton. We're going to talk about Mike Leach, kind of his, his problems at Washington State. We'll talk about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan. We'll discuss the Heisman Trophy. I'll do my deadly dozen 12 playoff teams, and we're going to break down Lamar Jackson far more down the road. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. I want to now talk about the surprise of the weekend. USC has elected to commit to their head coach, Clay Helton. It's funny, my notes say Todd Helton. I get those guys confused all the time. Despite finishing five and seven, despite losing their final three games to Cal, UCLA, Notre Dame, it's funny, they had to just win one of those games and USC would have been bowl eligible, but instead, USC under Clay Helton is five and seven. And to me, it feels like keeping Clay Helton is USC settling. USC is settling for Clay Helton. And when you settle in life, you got to be very careful. If you settle, you must be willing to deal with the consequences. I, I try not to settle at all in my life. At this point in my life, I try to max out everything I can. And maybe I'm going to change my perspective as I grow up, but I always aim as high as I possibly can at this point in my life. I try to max out. I try to get the best I can possibly have. It does not seem like USC has the best coach they could possibly have. I don't know. I mean, it's weird. USC has remained committed to Clay Helton, and I really hope they're ready for the consequences. Uh, My fear is always settling down and marrying someone that I don't really care about. Because my fear is being 40 and just being unhappy, looking around at everyone else going, man, I wish I had that. Is there, I don't want to be 40 and go, hmm, is there something better out there? I just don't want to settle. I want to take my time and get the best I can. I understand why USC has kept Clay Hilton. I do. He's won a Pac-12 championship. In 2016, USC won the Rose Bowl. And he's, he's not a, doesn't have a terrible record. At, U, at USC, Clay Hilton's 32 and 17. He's a fine coach. And you can make a great excuse for Clay Hilton. You can say, well, JT Daniels, their starting quarterback, is a true freshman. I mean, he's developing. But then you look around and you go, mm, well... A lot of teams win with true freshman quarterbacks. Georgia with Jake Fromm last year. Clemson right now with their quarterback. I do recognize, yes, USC fought really hard for Clay Helton against Notre Dame. Maybe it's because the players want to keep him there. But I just, at the end of the day, when I look around at USC, I just see an average, a, a team being coached by average coaching. Getting out-schemed. I mean, the USC's team makes 
far too many mistakes. They look undisciplined all the time. It's a mess. USC needs better coaching, especially on offense. And maybe, maybe Clay Helton is the answer. I don't know. Maybe Clay Helton's going to get better. But regardless, when next year comes around, USC needs to have better coaching. Whether Clay Helton gets better, whether they fire him and find someone else. God, I do not like calling for someone's job. And I don't want to be clear. That's not what I'm doing. I'm not saying fire Clay Helton. What I'm saying is I think USC is settling and I think USC needs better coaching. It's a weird way to tiptoe around it. Personally, I think the schemes that USC are, is running, they're just not competitive. You look around the rest of college football, it's very mundane. You need innovation at USC. I think it'd be weird to see USC run a spread system like Lincoln Riley does at Oklahoma, but I don't know. If you're going to run a pro-style system, at least please innovate at USC. It's very... Ah, I, I, just, I really hope that USC is prepared to deal with the consequences of settling for Clay Hilton. He's fine. They're going to be okay. USC will be competitive. They're not going to be atrocious. But I'm, I'm afraid USC's marrying the girl they just kind of like. They're not marrying the girl they really want to be with. You're letting the girl of your dreams walk away and go have this incredible life without you. You're going to look, be 40 and look back and go, ooh, I didn't really have the life I wanted. That's my fear with USC. They're going to bring Clay Helton back and just regret they're going to waste two years of J.T. Daniels' life, his career, not get the most out of it. That's my fear for USC. Look again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they have no upgrade in mind. They have no target. They don't know who they want to replace Clay Hilton with, so we'll stick with Clay Hilton. I think the Cowboys have dealt with that sometimes. You know, They want to replace Jason Garrett, but there's no options. I don't know if that's what's happening or not. But And look, I'm not even calling for Clay Hilton's job. I really am not. My point is this. USC particularly on offense, needs better coaching. The coaching at USC must improve if they want to win Pac-12 championships in the future. Okay, uh, before the break, I want to make some factual statements. So again, I just want to make some factual statements. Here are a few of the things that have happened so far in the 2018 NFL season. Recently, we just saw the Jaguars fire their offensive coordinator and they benched Blake Bortles. Their Super Bowl hopes have been crushed. They are last in the AFC South. Now, in Chicago, the Bears hired a new head coach and a new offensive coordinator. They hired Matt Nagy, hired Mark Helfrich. Suddenly, Mitch Trubisky no longer looks like a bust. It's pretty funny how that works, right? You get a new coach, and uh, Mitch Trubisky, a bust last year, suddenly looks like a franchise quarterback. Oh, and in the offseason, we saw the Eagles lose their offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. They lost Frank Reich to the Colts. They lost John DiFilippo to the Vikings. Both of them left, and now all of a sudden, weird how this works, Carson Wentz is struggling this year. How about Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers is having a rough year. Everybody says, the Packers need better offensive coaching. Hmm. What do you think we can learn from all of this? Perhaps... I don't know. Maybe quality offensive coaching is important. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, I'm, I'm speculating here. I might be going out on a limb. Maybe it's necessary to have quality offensive coaching. There's been a narrative for years that has bothered me, just irritated me. People have said that Tom Brady is a system quarterback, and they've said it with spite. They've punished Tom Brady. They've said Tom Brady 
is limited. He's a system quarterback. They've held it against him. I think it's time to stop making that argument. Hypocrites. It's so silly. I mean, the same people who say Aaron Rodgers needs better coaching invalidate Tom Brady because he's a good has good coaching. They say Tom Brady's merely a product of great coaching. The double standard's absurd. It drives me nuts. I'm going to tell you a little secret. Every single successful quarterback had a good head coach. Had a, sorry, not a good head coach. Every single successful quarterback had good coaching. What is Drew Brees without Sean Payton? Jared Goff without Sean McVay. Patrick Mahomes without Andy Reid. Yes, Aaron Rodgers is more physically talented than Tom Brady. But Tom Brady executes his offense better than anybody. He's the most coachable quarterback in NFL history. You remember a couple weeks ago when Aaron Rodgers threw the ball on third and two just straight into the dirt? And people said, well, you know... Aaron Rodgers likes to ad-lib. He, he doesn't work well operating within a system. That's not what Aaron Rodgers does. Aaron Rodgers likes to extend plays and ad-lib and do his own thing. Okay, if Aaron Rodgers likes to ad-lib, how is getting new coaching going to help him if he doesn't run the plays that are called? I'm not certain I'm making sense. My point is this. People punish Tom Brady because he's had great coaching in New England. But then they make the same excuse for Aaron Rodgers. They say, well, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have great coaching so, uh, you know, it's not fair. This whole thing that Tom Brady's a system quarterback, that whole thing that you should hold it against him, it's a myth. It's stupid. I don't know. Every single quarterback is a, quote, system quarterback because every single quarterback needs to have good coaching. Stop penalizing Tom Brady. Stop invalidating Tom Brady. By saying he's merely a product of good coaching. The double standard is absurd. Drives me nuts. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do the Deadly Dozen. I'm going to tell you five teams. The only five teams that can win the Super Bowl. We'll talk about Mike Leach. We'll talk about the Heisman. We'll talk about Jim Harbaugh. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about the show. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, this is the thing. I don't do power rankings. I'm not into it. I'm not a fan. The problem with power rankings is you'll have a team at the top that doesn't even make the playoffs. Last year, the San Diego Chargers, LA Chargers now, were in everyone's power rankings right at the top, and they didn't even make the playoffs. Not a fan of that. So this is... This is the Deadly Dozen. Again, I don't do power rankings. What I do instead, I pick the 12 playoff teams. Six in the AFC, six in the NFC. I want to start in the NFC. My number one team in the playoffs from the NFC is the New Orleans Saints. They're 10-1. and one. They're going to win the NFC South. This was my most confident preseason prediction. I said the Saints are a Super Bowl team. I, I take pride in that. Drew Brees is having an MVP caliber season. All his tough games are indoors, and the defense is really coming alive for the Saints. I believe in the Saints. I think they could win the Super Bowl. My number two team is the Rams. The Rams are also 10-1. and one. I was really surprised. They beat the Chiefs last, a couple weeks, or just recently, Monday Night Football last week. And I was surprised because they lost Cooper Cup in an injury. It didn't matter. Scheme always wins for the LA Rams. Their defense made a ton of plays. 
I'm I'm really excited to watch the Rams down the stretch. See if they can challenge the Saints and make a run trying to get into the Super Bowl. My third team in the NFC making the playoffs, I have the Bears. They're 8-3. and three. I believe they're going to win the NFC North. Just had a convincing win over the Vikings last Sunday night football. Then on Thursday, they played the Lions, won without their quarterback, Mitch Trubisky. It's a big deal. The, the Bears are the most complete team in football. They are operating on all cylinders. Their defense is great. They're running the ball well. Their offensive line looks really good. They won with a backup quarterback. It was impressive. And the truth is, I have no faith in Kirk Cousins. I have no faith in the Packers. They're a mess. I think the Bears are going to win the NFC North, win their division, make the playoffs. I was wrong. I said the Bears weren't. I was just wrong on that. My fourth team in the NFC, it looks like the Dallas Cowboys will win the NFC East. Alex Smith broke his leg, and uh, the Redskins are out. Sorry to say I feel bad for Alex Smith, but the Redskins are out. Uh, The Eagles barely beat the Giants on Sunday. I think think the Cowboys are going to ultimately win that division and make the playoffs out of the NFC East. Now, the wild card in the NFC is very interesting. I think the first team to make the playoffs in the wild card is the Seattle Seahawks. I feel very confident in the Seahawks. They just had two big wins in a row. They beat the Packers and then the Panthers. They have a home stretch coming up. But the, the key here is this. The Seattle Seahawks run the ball really, really well. And when you play games in December in cold weather, in rain, in snow, that's going to benefit the Seahawks for the final five games of the year. I believe the Seahawks at 6-5 and five are going to be a playoff team. Now, my final wildcard spot in the NFC came down to the Vikings or the Panthers. Here's, here's my logic here. The Panthers end the season playing the Saints twice. They play the Saints twice in the final three weeks of the season, week 15 and week 17. I do not believe the Saints are going to sweep the Panthers. I think the Saints finish 13-3. and three. I think the Panthers get one of those games. The rest of their schedule is fine. In the final five games for the Vikings, they play, they play the Seahawks, the Bears, and the Patriots. They might lose all three of those games. And truthfully, I just have no faith in Kirk Cousins, so my final wildcard spot in the NFC is going to the Carolina Panthers. How about in the AFC? My first team in the AFC is, it's pretty obvious, look, it's the Kansas City Chiefs. They're 9-2, and two, and here's what's weird about them. They played ugly on Monday Night Football last week and still put up 50 points on the LA Rams. They lost, and, and in spite of an ugly, I, I'm, I'm actually, I think the, the Chiefs are fine. They could still win the Super Bowl. Says it all. I mean, the, the Chiefs are incredible. Great play calling. They run the ball really well. Tons of athletes everywhere. Great quarterback play. Great offensive line. I'm, I'm concerned about the Chiefs' defense, but I think their offense can really carry them and get them through whatever they need to get through. They're not going to play a game as bad as they did against the Rams on Monday Night Football, and uh, I think if they play that game, they win next time. My second team in the AFC is the New England Patriots. They're 8-3. and three. And uh, despite an ugly loss to the Titans a couple weeks ago, I think they're going to watch film, clean it up. Look, it's Brady Belichick. Do I need to say a lot more? I don't have a lot of concerns about the Patriots. I think they're a playoff team. I think they could potentially win the Super Bowl. My third team in the AFC is the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're 7-3-1. They're just rolling through the AFC North. Nobody's really challenging them. Here's what's weird about them. They don't have a lot of discipline. They are talent, 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 talent everywhere. Discipline, not so much. And so I'm curious to see if they can push for the AFC title. I don't know if they can uh, because I think they're going to lose to a team like the Chiefs or the Patriots who are better coached, frankly. Uh, And I I don't believe in the Steelers, but I think, look, 
they that'd be a really interesting matchup with the Patriots. I think the Chiefs are better than the Steelers, but talent and talent, I want to watch that play out. So I don't know. We'll see. I think the Steelers, they're the third team in the playoffs. The Texans are my fourth team out of the AFC. They're eight and three. They're not even phased. The Colts are coming up right behind them. Don't even care. They're just dominating. Man, uh, here's what's cool about the Texans. Did I say the Chiefs? I meant the Texans. The Texans are 8-3. and three. They're going to win the AFC South. And Deshaun Watson has really just come alive recently. He started off the year kind of rough and has really improved week to week. I think he's just been struggling coming back from his ACL injury. I'm excited. I think the Texans are a playoff team. Now, my two wild card spots in the AFC. First, look, it's the Chargers. They're 8-3. and three. If the Chargers were in any other division... They're easily a playoff team. And they just obliterated the Cardinals 45-10. to 10. I don't want to overstate that. It's the Cardinals. They're not great. But regardless, I think the Chargers are a playoff team. My final playoff team in the AFC is the Indianapolis Colts. Here's a stat for you you will love. Since week four, Andrew Luck has either had three or four touchdowns every single week. Andrew Luck is dominating. And uh, look, I think he's healthy. I think Andrew Luck actually has a solid argument for the MVP in the NFL. And I think the Colts are a playoff team. So again, my deadly dozen, my 12 playoff teams go as followed. In the NFC, you have the Saints, the Rams, the Chicago Bears, the Dallas Cowboys. In the wild card, you have the Seahawks and the Panthers. And in the AFC, my six teams are the Chiefs, the Patriots, the Undisciplined Steelers, the Texans. And my two wild card spots in the AFC are the Chargers and the Indianapolis Colts, led by MVP candidate Andrew Luck. This has been the Deadly Dozen. Thank you very much. Oh, man. That's a brutal... Why do I struggle with that segment every single week? I don't know why. I think it's because there's, like, people outside. I know they're listening, and I feel all self-conscious. Got to get over that. It's really a mess. So of the 12 playoff teams, I think five could win the Super Bowl. I'm going to say it again. One of these five teams will win the Super Bowl. The Saints... The Rams, the Patriots, the Chiefs, and the Steelers. One of those five teams is going to win the Super Bowl. Why? There are four things you need in order to win the Super Bowl. You need to have a coach. You need to have a solid coach, a solid quarterback, an offensive line, and a solid defense. These five teams have every single one of them. The Saints have all four by the most. The Saints are my Super Bowl favorite. I love the Saints. I think they might be the most complete team top to bottom. Maybe the Bears are better, have a better roster. Saints have a better quarterback. The Patriots' weakest aspect is their offensive line and their defense. But weak does not mean bad. They're, they're marginal. And they have an extremely t- gifted coach and an incredible quarterback, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick. I think Brady Belichick lifts an average roster to great. I think the Patriots can win the Super Bowl. I mean, there, is there any question about that? The Patriots are always a Super Bowl contender. The Rams. The Rams have a genius coach, a great quarterback, a great offensive line, and their defense is finally coming alive. The Rams can win the Super Bowl. Now, the Steelers' weakness is coaching. I love this matchup. I really hope, actually. I, I hate to see the Chiefs go by the wayside, but I want to see, and look, maybe it's earlier than the AFC title game. I desperately want to see the Steelers play the Patriots. I don't know who's going to win. In a meaningful game like that, where you have talent versus coaching, the Steelers are undisciplined and really talented. The Patriots are all disciplined, basically no talent. I want to watch that matchup desperately. I think the Steelers are a team that could win the Super Bowl. They have a lot of talent, 
And look, I don't want to understate Mike Tomlin. He's won a Super Bowl before. He's not a, a bad coach. They just are they're kind of messy at times. And my final team that can win the Super Bowl, again, the Kansas City Chiefs. A great, innovative head coach, great quarterback, great offensive line, a good, solid defense, good, not great, but talent all around. Again, these are the five teams that can win the Super Bowl. The Saints, the Patriots, the Rams, the Steelers, and the Chiefs. They can win because they have the four things you need to win the Super Bowl. They have a great coach, quarterback, offensive line, and a defense. They all have them at different proportions. I'm not saying the Patriots have a legendary defense. I'm not saying the Steelers have an incredible head coach. But when you proportion it all out, they all have good enough to win a Super Bowl. Those are the five teams who can win a championship this year in the NFL. Okay, uh, long before Mission Impossible was a movie franchise starring Tom Cruise, way before that, years and years ago, Mission Impossible was a TV show. And episodes of Mission Impossible would often create a ticking clock scenario. It's where you have urgency. There's a problem. You better solve it soon or else chaos will ensue. Michigan football is living a episode of Mission Impossible. Jim Harbaugh, the fuse has been lit. You'd better find a way to put out the fire. That is how I feel about Jim Harbaugh. Because Saturday, Michigan, Michigan got thumped by Ohio State 62-39. to 39. And Jim Harbaugh has been unable to get out of the shadow of Urban Meyer, Ohio State's head coach. If Urban Meyer does not beat, Mich- beat Ohio State soon, he's going to be fired. I hate to say it. I, I love Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh wins 10 games a year. He's a great coach. The problem is Urban Meyer at Ohio State wins 11 games a year. He's always overshadowed. Michigan has not beat Ohio State since 2011, and Jim Harbaugh has not beat Ohio State once in his tenure as a Michigan head coach. I like Jim Harbaugh. 10 games a year is enough for me, but it is not enough for Michigan fans. Jim Harbaugh is on the hot seat, despite being a great coach. And I think, honestly, if Michigan had won the same amount of games but beat Ohio State every year, it'd be different. But Ohio State dominates the Big Ten, and it's very clear they overshadow Michigan football. It's just weird. I mean, Michigan loses to Ohio State for very different reasons. Two years ago, they went to double overtime. But regardless, Michigan always loses to Ohio State. And if Jim Harbaugh does not beat Ohio State soon... It will be the end of his tenure at Michigan. The fuse has been lit. It's only a matter of time before the bomb goes off and Jim Harbaugh is no longer the Michigan head coach. He had better beat Ohio State next year. He might not have two years. He's got to beat Ohio State soon or else people are going to get sick of Michigan being overshadowed by Ohio State. I have a couple thoughts on the Packers before I go to break. We'll do one more break, then we'll go to the, the final couple topics of the show. But I want to talk about the Packers briefly. The Packers are 4-6-1. and one. And the Packers are a prime example that when coaching and leadership don't work together, you cannot win. The head coach, Mike McCarthy, and Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback, look dysfunctional. It, the relationship doesn't look good. But here's the really big problem to me. When you watch Aaron Rodgers... You do not see a guy who loves football. You don't see a guy having fun. Aaron Rodgers looks worn out. <clears throat> and I'm not convinced that Aaron Rodgers' teammates love him. 
I mean, you fight harder for teammates you love. Drew Brees' teammates, I think, love him. You watch Drew Brees, he's having fun. Not just because he's winning, I think he loves football. I, I wonder, I really do, does Aaron Rodgers love football? Is he having fun? Do his teammates love him? I think it matters. And I have an absurd thought. I, I know this is weird, but I wonder, do coaches want to coach Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers loves to ad-lib. He loves to do his own thing. He doesn't necessarily run the play that you call. And I know it's absurd. You want to work with super talented people, but I, I just wonder if, if Mike McCarthy gets fired, does another head coach really want to work with Aaron Rodgers? I, I'm not saying he's Jay Cutler, but Aaron doesn't look happy. He's not having fun. He doesn't look coachable. It's very weird. It's, I do believe that Aaron Rodgers' attitude is part of the issue in Green Bay. Part of the reason why Green Bay is struggling is because of Aaron Rodgers' attitude. I know it's weird. I know it's absurd. But I think Aaron Rodgers is a small percentage of the problem in Green Bay. All right, we're going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about Lamar Jackson. He's been encouraging, fun to watch. We'll break down what Lamar Jackson has been doing. We'll talk about Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. And then the final two topics are going to be about Washington State football. We'll talk about Mike Leach and the Apple Cup. And we'll talk about Gardner Minshew. Remember, my name is Zach Schaumler. You can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and on YouTube. You can find the full entire hour-long podcast on YouTube as well as my best, most interesting clips. Help me grow by telling your friends about this show. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Uh, Final topics of the day. We always compare Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. The next comparison we're going to make like that down the road will be Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. It's weird. There are so many parallels between Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes, and then you look at Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, there's so many parallels. So Jared Goff is going to be called a system quarterback, not by me, but by a lot of people who are going to attribute all of his success to his head coach, Sean McVay. People do the same thing with Tom Brady. Patrick Mahomes reflects Aaron Rodgers. It's very weird. Crazy arm talent, loves to ad-lib and extend plays. Jared Goff does not have as much wow factor as Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady doesn't have as much wow factor as Aaron Rodgers. I'm telling you guys, the next big comparison will be Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes. They're also going to be the next two superstar quarterbacks in the NFL. I cannot wait to revisit this. I can't wait to talk about what happens to them five years down the road, ten years down the road. This is not a breakout. I'm not going to put this on YouTube, but Jared Goff and... Patrick Mahomes are the next two great quarterbacks in the NFL, and they are going to be compared for years. I couldn't help but think that when watching Monday Night Football last week. Let's talk about Lamar Jackson. I am incredibly encouraged after watching Lamar Jackson's first two starts. I just watched the tape against the Raiders today. It was awesome, fun to watch. And uh, Lamar Jackson's now 2-0 as an NFL starter. That's really cool. That's, That's awesome. Now, I will be honest, I was concerned after I watched Lamar Jackson's first start against the Cincinnati Bengals. But game one to two, we showed a lot of progress, a lot of improvement. So I want to start with game one. We'll talk about what he did in game one and how we improved on his performance in game one to game two. So game one, he played against the Bengals. He was 13 for 19 passing, 150 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception, And here's what was really concerning is Lamar Jackson had 26 carries 
for 119 yards rushing. <clears throat> the Ravens did beat the Bengals, but it concerned me. Their scheme did not look sustainable down the road. I mean, at one point, the Ravens ran the ball 13 plays in a row. It's not good. And the Ravens limited Lamar Jackson tremendously. Every pass was either play action or they'd roll him out to move the pocket, cut the field in half. What the Ravens did in game one with Lamar Jackson is they ran a simplified offense. They were very careful with Lamar Jackson. We didn't see Lamar Jackson throw the ball over the top in game one. We saw it maybe once. It was an incomplete pass. A lot of dink, dunk, short passes, short completions. I'm not joking. Literally every single Lamar Jackson pass traveled like four yards. The Bengals were also very weird. The Bengals had a terrible game plan against the Baltimore Ravens. They kept vacating the middle of the field, allowing Lamar Jackson to just dink and dunk on crossing routes underneath over the middle. I kept wondering why don't the Cincinnati Bengals challenge Lamar Jackson vertically? Play man coverage, force him to throw the ball over the top, and they never did that. That's why the Bengals lost. Now, in game one, Lamar Jackson did some good things. He also did some really bad things. I mean, he held on to the ball far too long. He'd run around a couple times and take sacks. Also, while scrambling, he tried to force the ball downfield through an interception. It was ugly. But here's what's really, really cool. In Lamar Jackson's second start against the Oakland Raiders, he showed tremendous improvement. And not, I'm not just saying like he played the Raiders and they were bad. Lamar Jackson made better decisions against the Raiders. He made far fewer mental errors. I was incredibly excited. He had two interceptions, but he also had a touchdown. He was 14 for 25 passing at 178 yards and far fewer carries. Only 11 carries for 71 yards. Now let's talk about the two interceptions. On the first interception for Lamar Jackson, he made a rookie mistake. He got locked into his first target over the middle, didn't take his eyes off it, threw a pass, got tipped by a linebacker and intercepted. Now on the second interception, we saw Lamar Jackson throw a deep pass down the left side to Michael Crabtree. It might have been slightly underthrown, but it got tipped up by a defender, ultimately got intercepted. But the truth is, it was the right read. He did not make a mental error. He might have missed the throw slightly, but I can live with that. He made the right decision. He also did throw the ball over the top in game two. He made a big completion to Mark Andrews down the right sideline. The truth is that in game two, Lamar Jackson looked far more comfortable throwing from the pocket. And I want to really credit Marty Morningwig, the Ravens offensive coordinator. He has tremendous creative play design. The way they're using Lamar Jackson is so smart. I think Lamar Jackson's going to run a lot his first year or two. And the, the more developed he becomes as a passer, the far less he will run. But they're running a lot of fly sweeps. They're using Lamar Jackson's skills to help him. And they're not putting him in situations where he could get hurt. They're running a, like, they'll fake a pass, pitch a fly sweep to an orbit-wide receiver. They'll roll out and move the pocket to the right. I mean, Lamar Jackson is still developing. But he's also clearly learning from every single rep. He's making great strides. And I think that Lamar Jackson can succeed in the NFL. I, I do. He's just, the way he's improving, the way he's learning from his mistakes, that's indicative of a guy who's studying the game, doing his best, and I think could be successful if he keeps improving. Two things excite me more than anything else for Lamar Jackson. <clears throat> they're both related to the way he uses his legs, but they're not his running. That's a lazy way to put it. One thing I loved is multiple times Lamar Jackson threw the ball away against the Oakland Raiders. 
And that's really rare. For a guy who has his ability to run the ball, it's rare to see a guy throw the ball away and f- just move on to the next play. Usually a guy like Lamar Jackson will try to run and fight for more yards and gain four yards, but he'll get knocked out and just really struggle, extend plays far too long and hold on to the ball too long. You don't see that from Lamar Jackson. In fact, he's shown a lot of discipline, a lot of restraint. Lamar Jackson's not a quarterback who runs simply to run. He's running to extend plays, and that's what I like. Here's the second thing that really excites me about Lamar Jackson. He's actually not getting hit that much. He's run for a lot of yards, but he's not getting hit very often. I saw a story where Michael Vick told Lamar Jackson, I mean, truthfully, he warned Lamar Jackson, you better be careful. Proceed with caution. Well, against the Raiders in game two, Lamar Jackson was getting down. He was sliding. He was avoiding big hits. That's good. I love that. Because here's the thing. Lamar Jackson's going to run. And he should run. You don't start a band with a world-class guitarist and put him at piano. You want a guy to use the talent he has. And Lamar Jackson's developing. I think developing quite well. He's, he's making great strides. From game one to game two, we saw a lot of improvement. He's making fewer mental mistakes. He looks more comfortable. I mean, look, I know that Lamar Jackson only beat the Bengals and the Raiders. Those are two pretty miserable defenses. Still very encouraging. In fact, I think, honestly, you could make an argument that these are the best two defenses that Lamar Jackson could have started against to build confidence, to get some reps, and kind of get this thing rolling. I'm not going to lie. Lamar Jackson missed a couple throws. Had some accuracy problems, but I can live with that. He had far fewer accuracy misses than I thought he would. He's making a lot of good mental decisions, and I'm encouraged, man. I'm excited to see how Lamar Jackson develops. I want to watch him progress as the season goes on, and uh, I think Lamar Jackson's going to work out. I'm pretty excited. Final two topics of the day. I got to drink some water. My voice is depleting. I mean, my voice is good. It's always fine. It's just at this point, an hour into the show. You do get strained. So, on Saturday, I was at the Apple Cup. The Apple Cup, that's Washington State University versus the University of Washington football game. And uh, University of Washington Huskies beat WSU 28-15. to It was cold, wet, and the rain early became snow. I mean, it was a... <sighs> we learned a lot, though. It's a cold game, wet game, and a hypothesis I've had for a couple years, for a long time, has been finally confirmed. I say this with the utmost respect and humility. Mike Leach is an offensive genius. In fact, growing up, he was my favorite college football coach. Still is. I love him. Love the way he answers questions. I love his unique offense. It's great. I mean, when I was in high school, I wanted to go to Texas Tech to play quarterback. That was my dream. But, and you knew it was coming, Mike Leach has a kryptonite. Here is the issue with Mike Leach's offense. It doesn't work well in the elements, in the rain, in the snow. It's not great. If I was going to go play somewhere again, I would want to play for a college football team that could run the ball as well as throw. I think it's fairly obvious. In rain, in snow, footing is tough. The ball's wet and slippery. Throwing's hard, catching's really tough, making short cuts underneath, it's difficult. It's incredibly difficult in the snow. Try to run, try to, try to make lateral movements in the snow. 
And for me, it was sad. It was painful. I wanted Mike Leach to win. I love Gardner Minshew. He's an inspiration to me. But Mike Leach's offense cost the Cougs on Saturday. I mean, that's why UW outgained WSU with 487 yards to a meager 237. UW had 258 yards rushing. Washington State had 85 because they don't run the ball. They can't. The offense didn't work. Washington only threw 15 passes. University of Washington, Jake Browning, he threw only 15 passes. He was 12 for 15, threw the ball down the field. And look, I know this is annoying to point out. Yes, Mike Leach, the rain, the snow, it doesn't work. I know it's, it's way too obvious, but that's the truth. In rain and snow, you must be able to run the ball, and Mike Leach's offenses can't. And weirdly enough, I'm in snow. The most effective types of passes in snow are deep passes over the top. It's far easier to run in a straight line than it is to cut laterally, make a move, and go across the middle of the field. Lateral movement in snow is brutal. And uh, again, I say this with no disrespect. But Washington State's offense, it relies on precision. Mike Leach's offense relies on precision. And precision's really difficult in snowy and rainy conditions. The inability to run the ball cost WSU on Saturday against UW. It starts with the scheme. Look, I love Mike Leach. I love his philosophy. Spreading the ball out. Everybody, quarterbacks, receivers, sorry, excuse me, running backs, receivers. Everybody gets the ball. They all get touches. And I love Mike Leach's scheme. I buy it all the way until it snows or rains. That's when I get out. And the problem with Mike Leach's offense is that when it rains or snows, it doesn't work very well. Precision's tough. An offense that requires precision doesn't run the ball, doesn't ground and pound. That's a tough offense to execute when it's snowy and rainy. And so that's the flaw with Mike Leach's offense. I love him. Great coach. Wonderful. But (laughs) when it snows or rains, I'm out. And uh, I wouldn't bet on the Cougs if uh, it was raining or snowing. I want to talk about the Heisman Trophy. The Heisman is awarded, and I quote, the Heisman is awarded to college football's most outstanding player. To me, the most outstanding player in college football this year has been Tua Tungvaloa. Alabama's quarterback, Alabama went undefeated. He was phenomenal. I don't think anybody disputes that. I am almost certain that Tua is going to win the Heisman. 36 touchdowns, two interceptions, completing over 70% of his passes. Tua has dominated this year. He deserves to win the Heisman Trophy. But there's another name that I believe should be included in the conversation. I believe Washington State's quarterback, Gardner Minshew, should be invited to New York. He should be in the discussion for the Heisman. couple reasons, two of them. His story and his accomplishments. First is this. Washington State was not expected to have a great year. They were bottom of the barrel. And then Gardner Minshew lifted Washington State up. He gave them a fantastic season that nobody expected. But uh, even more than that, he defied the odds. I mean, Gardner Minshew leads the nation in passing. And I don't know that that's... Here's the thing. It it almost deserves an asterisk because when you play in Mike Leach's offense and you play in the air raid, you should lead the nation in passing. I know he throws more than anybody, but he still executed. He still did his job. Gardner Minshew did what he was asked. But truthfully, I think it's Gardner Minshew's story, the way he impacted Washington State. That's why 
his story is so good and why I think he should be considered for the Heisman. I mean, first of all, Gardner Minshew is a graduate transfer, which means he was planning to go to Alabama. He was committed to go play, be the backup quarterback for Alabama. Then he went to Washington State. Now he leads the nation in passing. But more than that, more than just being a graduate transfer, this is why Gardner Minshew's story is so great. In January of 2018, Washington State quarterback Tyler Holinsky took his life. And that rocked the Washington State community. It was brutal. Tyler was the next quarterback at Washington State. And, and nobody can replace Tyler. I'm not even suggesting that. But Gardner Minshew lifted a hurting WSU community. He offered hope, inspiration, inspiration to me. I go to Washington State. I respect, I appreciate Gardner Minshew. I, it's been awesome to watch his story. But watching Gardner Minshew's story develop, I can't help wonder. I mean, this is Gardner Minshew's story. Graduate transfer. Leads the nation in passing. Overcoming the critics. Having a far better year than expected. And lifting a community up after a tragic loss. I can't help but wonder if that story had played out at a more prominent school like LSU or Texas. Wouldn't Gardner Minshew be the Heisman? That story plays so well. He would be the Heisman Trophy winner at Texas or LSU. Not saying he should win. He won't. Tua Tungvaloa is going to be the Heisman. He deserves it. My point is this. Gardner Minshew deserves a seat at the table. His accomplishments, his story, what he's done for Washington State. He's the most valuable player in the Pac-12 for sure. Gardner Minshew should be absolutely in the Heisman conversation. Guys, that is my show. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate you. Um, I, I just love doing the show. It's my favorite thing in the world. It's been a busy week. I'm going through it. You don't even know how much crap uh, I'm dealing with on the side. I just am so grateful you listened. I really appreciate you. Hope you guys have a great day. Remember, you can subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. I'm going to put it on Spotify very soon. Uh, but more than anything, just help me grow by telling your friends about the show. And, uh, and at the end of the day, just thank you. Just thank you so much. This show is my dream. It's my passion. It's my favorite thing in the world. And I'm so grateful that you guys listen and, and follow me on Instagram and send me all kinds of DMs. It's just truthfully, it's really uh, my favorite thing in the world. And I love getting your feedback. It's fun to feel like a part of a community that I built. Um, it really is just a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. So thank you so very much. I'll be back on Friday. Uh, November is going to be rough. November, December, it's going to be brutal. I get out of school on the 15th. And that's when we'll pick up and start doing shows more regularly. But until December 15th, just bear with me. And when we get there, we'll be home free. We'll have a great run of shows. But until then, we got to just get through the rest of school. So thank you so much. My name is Zach Schaumler. Hope you guys have a great day. Ba-dum-bum, bam, we are done. Bye.